<laughs> All right, was that cool? Let's make some noise for the Lord this morning. Wow, good morning, everybody. Welcome to C4. Um, if you and I haven't met yet, I'm Jared, one of the pastors here. We're thrilled that you joined us today. Um, you know, I really, I'm really grateful to be able to have you here. I know that um, you taking the time to be here with us is, is no small thing. And so uh, I just want to appreciate those of you that are maybe here for the first time. You're just checking us out. Maybe you're new to this whole church thing. We're just, um, we're just so grateful that you joined us. We're hoping that this place, C4, could be a place where you feel like you belong even before you believe. And so thank you for joining us. Today I'm able to just share God's word and also share some really neat things that I think is pretty interesting and um, incredible. And it kind of circulates around the question of um, science and faith. Are they friends or foes? And that's the question at the top of your notes. It's the title of our message today. And that's going to be the question that we're going to kind of dive into because I think this is a really important question. I think that, um, you know, as we, we walk through this series, what if it's true? I think that this question is a big roadblock for many, many people from giving their life to Jesus, sort of trust in God. And I, and I, I see that because I was one of those people. You know, like when I came to know Jesus, I had so much questions, you know, like tons of questions, tw- questions that I came up with, questions that people started asking me. And um, I remember when I, uh, I, I was so excited about Jesus, I came to know him. And so I was so like sharing him with everybody. And I remember my friends that weren't believers in Christ, they would come to me and they would ask me these questions and I'd be baffled. Like I'd be like, I have no idea. I'm so new to this. And uh, they would ask me um, these questions like this. The questions like, uh, do, do you really believe that God created the world in a few days? Or uh, did we simply evolve um, and then did the universe randomly put to, was put together through a span of billion years? Do you, do you believe that? What do you believe? Or did you really believe that, that God created humanity in his own image? Or did we evolve from apes? Or uh, what about dinosaurs? I mean, what does the Bible say about fossils in the ground? What, is, what does that have to do? And so I had all of these questions kind of bombarded at me. And I remember trying to answer these questions or trying to just pause them for a moment. And, and I remember them saying this to me. I'll never forget this. A few of them were, were saying to me that, Jared, if you want to be a believer in God, then, then you're going to be um, confined to embracing being small-minded. That you're going to have to reject science and logic and reason altogether because believers, they're unreasonable and so you're going to have to turn a blind eye to common sense do you know people like that that would say that to you and so i was kind of just walking through that and so i went to some friends that were believers that were christians and i asked one in particular hoping to that he would kind of navigate me through some of these difficult questions and i remember he said this to me it totally surprised me he said Jared, uh, uh, you don't have to know everything, okay? And so stop asking questions. Stop asking, stop being so inquisitive, Jared. Just have faith. Just have more faith. And <laughs> I wonder if you've had people tell that to you before. I, I, so I just kind of, I was just overwhelmed by all of the things that, that is kind of out there for me. And I think that I'm not the only one. I think that many of us had conversations like this, had this, these um, exchanges with people and, uh, and I think that this narrative that uh, I'm going to be sharing with you t- today, maybe somebody brought this about, a narrative that, that uh, science and faith don't align, that they're like oil and water. Maybe a church member or, or the media or science or a friend, I mean a, a, a family member or friend brought this to you, that, that um, science and faith aren't working together, that are in conflict with one, one another. I, I want to share with you today, I want to submit to you that whether you're secure in your faith or you're a skeptic in God, that this narrative that I believe for so many years couldn't be more wrong. 
And I want to uh, share that with you today. And my hope for many of us today is that maybe you're in high school or you're a, a freshman in college or you're, maybe you're in a, in a work environment where your colleagues ridicule you because of your perspective. My hope is that God would today equip us with more than just faith, that he'll put reason and science and logic behind the faith that you have because I believe that God wants us to have all of these things because I believe, and this is what I want to just kind of lead with today, I believe that God gave us science and faith to be able to give us a grander picture of the greatness around us and the greatness in us from our God. And so we're going to kind of unpack that today. I want us to, to kind of look in our notes. We're going to be kind of looking at two specific questions to help us to unpack some of these things to give us a grander picture of the greatness of our God. We want to understand that through science and faith. And so here's the two questions that we're going to look at. The first is, why does, why does there seem to be a tension between science and faith? Why do they seem to be bunning in heads with each other. And the second thing we're going to look at is what can science tell us about God? We got God's word. Why do we need science to tell us about God? And so we're going to be diving into that in just a moment. But um, first, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of a disclaimer, okay? I, I realize that maybe for some of you, nerding out on scientific facts is not your cup of tea. Like, that's not a big deal to you. Um, and and, and uh, I want to ask you, just to hang with me, maybe some of you, you're, you're not so interested in the tension of science and faith as you are the tension that's going on in your life right now. And, um, and so this is kind of just a byproduct of not wanting to just get into this, but bringing you back to school. I want to I just ask you to just stay with me for a little while because I believe that God has something for you in the second half of our message today. And so just stick with me. And for the, um, the second disclaimer is for maybe for some of you who maybe are, you're, you're skeptical, you're coming in here just seeking, you're wanting to know a little bit more about God. I want to ask you to, to embrace the logic that you do embrace for so long because I want to share with you some really neat things through science that it has to show us about God. And um, for those of you who love this stuff, like apologetics or, or just learning more about all of this, I, I want to ask you, I want to just say to you that, man, I wish I had the whole day to share with you all the content I came across. But unfortunately for me and fortunately for you, we have about 25 minutes, okay? And so for that reason, I want to just, um, just point you right away from the beginning to some references and resources that you can check out or pick up. And it's in your bulletin there. Um, just to go for it. There's tons of resources, but here's just a few that I came across that were really helpful. One is a website called reasons.org. It's a great website to kind of help us to see science and faith converging and working together. Um, books, if you're a book reader, uh, I had a lot of questions in my faith, and so I, I led, it led me to some books that were really helpful. A book called Letters from a Skeptic was a great book for me. A classic book called Mere Christianity by my hero C.S. Lewis. Another book called Case for Christ uh, by Lee Strobel. A uh, great book. And this is one of my favorite books because I'm reading this now. I'm do- doing this with my kids. It's a, it's a hundred devotionals about God and science. It's written by this guy named Louis Giglio. And uh, I do this during the, um, the mornings with my kids during uh, l- breakfast or lunch or dinner. And so we go through this page and a half of devotional where there's a scripture and there's some cool fact about science and God. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. Now, if you're not a book reader, I want to just say this. Uh, check out Netflix. Now, very rarely will you hear a preacher say, hey, go watch a movie as an application to the message. But, but here's some great movies you want to check out. There's a documentary called Is Genesis History? It's put on by the Truth Project. Really cool documentary. And movie out there is Case for Christ. It's a, um, based off of the book. Again, this guy named Lee Strobel, he was a journalist trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, found himself giving his life to Jesus. And so what a, is a great movie. 
So go ahead and watch. I, I feel bad because I feel like I just gave away the movie. But it's still a good movie, so check that out. It's good. There's lots of resources out there. There's tons you want to check out. But um, I just want to encourage us today to, to look at a website or watch a movie or read a book. Um, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And so I want to encourage us to flex that muscle of faith in our lives. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. All right, let's tackle the first question today is, why does there seem to be this tension between science and faith? Why do, why do they seem to believe, bump heads with one another? And why do so many people believe this to be true? Well, I think that, that the tension is not so much between science and faith as it is the philosophy of some scientists and their, their, um, their interaction with the, the idea of a creator. And what I mean by that is, is I mean, in recent years, there's been a great deal of media attention to certain books that um, maybe you heard of. It's called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins or God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens, or a b- book called Letter to a Christian Nation by Sam Harris. All of these books are written by guys that want to bash and ridicule faith in God as unreasonable and irrelevant. And so they go and, they, 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 they go and share all of these things in these books. And a generation is reading these books, and there's, they're seeing that there's a separation. There has to be a chasm between the two. And so the tension arises with scientists because they want to prove that science can solve it all, that science has the answers to everything, which it can. It can't answer everything. We're going to see that in just a moment. And then the people of faith, what they're seeing is they hear that, is they hear these interactions. They're, they're pushing back on that. They're not sure how to respond, and so there's a pushback. They draw a line in the sand, just like my friend who said, you just have to have more faith. Stop asking questions. Just have more faith. Because they feel threatened by the idea that the Bible isn't a science textbook which it isn't, and it was never meant to be. And so what ends up happening in this narrative is that there's this echo chamber of like just miscommunication and bias and pushback. And, and, and all of these voices are saying, hey, there's a line that is drawn. You either choose religion or science. You either choose reason or faith. And, and there's this, this weighing that people feel like they have to choose one or another. But, but like I said before, I couldn't, be, I couldn't say, I, I have to say that I, I couldn't think that. that. That's so wrong. Because I believe that science and faith was made by God for God. And he, and he wants to give us a more complete answer to our universe and to the many facets of who he is. And so how God uses science and faith is by having them ask completely different questions. They're asking two completely different questions. And if you're taking notes, would you jot this down? The first question, science shows us how. Science shows us the how. And that's the question it asks. It studies the how, how things work, how things react, how things behave, how things came about. That's what science helps us to understand. And this is important, incredibly important, is it not? And so science is asking the how. Now, now faith, what that does is less interested in the how and it's more interested in the why. Science shows us the how, but faith shows us the why. For example, why we exist. Why things are the way that they are. Why we are here. Faith asks us the why. And so the way that faith and science, they they work together is that the more we learn how things came about, then the more we'll discover that there had to be a why behind it. The more that we learn how things came about, then we have to kind of just look and say, man, why is this here? And what's the purpose of this? And so that's what we're going to kind of venture into today. In fact, some of the greatest minds in all of history some of the just the amazing scientists of all of history, they, they had this thought in their mind, this why in their mind. And I'm going to bring some of these. These guys loved Jesus. They pursued God 
in, in their faith in the natural sciences, sci- scientists like this guy named Johannes Kepler, and we know him through the telescope, the Kepler telescope, who takes pictures of our universe and our world. But this man, in the late 1500s, came up with this idea of the, the three principles of the law of planetary motion. Brilliant man and mathematician, but he loved Jesus. And, th- and that's some of the steps that we learn today because of his, his desire to find God in, the, in these motions of the planets. Another guy named Sir Francis Bacon. I love Bacon. Yes. <laughs> But that's not what he's known for. He's, he's, um, viewed, his view of science is that he wanted to, to learn deeper truths about God. And so he was known for in the late 1500s of establishing and popularizing this thing, this little thing called the scientific method. Anybody heard of that? That's a huge, huge thing in science. That's what they use. That's a, a, a corner piece in their, in their thinking, scientific method. And that's what happened with Sir Francis Bacon as he established this. Another really famous scientist who um, many of us know is this guy named Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton, who in the late 1600s made an incredible observation on gravity. And we, we hear about this in school, right? The apple falls on his head. And we learn about how he shares the, the three laws of motion, which was the form of basic, pr- the basic principle of physics, the modern physics today. We learn that from Sir Isaac Newton. Brilliant man. Loved Jesus. In fact, this is what Newton shared in his faith, in, in this natural science that he was pursuing, this is what he said. This is a quote from him. Gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets into motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be done. Isn't that cool? I love what, how, how he shared that. And so, so what I want you to see here is that on a ground of historical facts, that, that Jesus is at the very center of science. That, that all these incredible findings and discoveries from science that thrusted humanity forward would not exist if it were not for the teachings of Jesus. And I, I really believe this, and I want to just pause here and just really just share with you. Maybe you're here, and this is something that really intrigues you. You're interested in the sciences. I believe that God, the kingdom of God is crying out for young people who loved him to step into physics, to step into chemistry, to step into biology. I want to encourage you to embrace your love for God in the context of these areas because I, I really believe that like the great minds of history, that God could use you to uncover something that he's been so excited for humanity to see, but he's just waiting for somebody to step out and just go for it for him. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. Can someone say amen to that? Let's do it. Now, now what can science tell us about God? What can science tell us about God? Well, the first thing that it can tell us if you're taking notes is this, that God, he is large and in charge. I wonder, that's fun to say. Can we say that together? I'm going to start at the beginning, you end it, okay? God is large and in charge. That he's that. He's that. And it's uh, stemmed through this thought that I want to share with you today, stemmed through this thought of the origins of the universe, that, um, that something came from nothing is just a baffling idea for many scientists. That, that there's nothing that existed and then all of a se- sudden there's everything that existed. And so that's such a hard thing to comprehend, but scientists are trying their best to, to show that to be true. And so secular scientists right now are actively working to create this false narrative that excludes God from the scientific process. We as believers believe that, that God created the universe from the outside of time, matter, and space, that he made it all. But this is a theory that's going around right now that involves the origins of the universe. And, and before this theory, there was this uh, other theory in the 1960s called the steady state theory. 
And the steady state theory claimed that, um, that the universe was static, that it didn't move, that, um, that, and that the universe was eternal, that it always existed. And so atheists, they love this, this theory because they believe, man, like if, if it always existed, then there was no beginning, there was no God, and so we don't need a God because everything had just existed, and they love this. And for, this, for a while, the scientific community held to this perspective. And it wasn't until this Belgian priest physicist by the name of Jorge Lemaitre, I hope I said that right, began doing these calculations that showed that the universe probably had a beginning point that it was expanding, and all his evidence was pointing to this. And so because of what he found, that he, he was convinced, man, this is, this is creation, this is what happened. And, and this, because he was a priest physicist in the scientific community, he was just rejected. They mocked him. They said, no, that's not true, you're biased. And so they held to the steady state theory, even though he shared this. And it wasn't until ultimately a man by the name of Stephen Hawking, and some of you have heard of him, he just passed away, he began researching some of these pre, this priest theories and very much came to the same conclusion that the universe had a beginning point. That it was a ball of, small ball of matter that exploded into the universe. And this was the evidence that pointed Stephen Hawking to the, the creation or, the, or the, the beginning of it all. And so scientists began to look at his findings and they're like, yeah, this must be true. And so we know it today as the Big Bang theory, the Big Bang Theory, and, and, we, and we also know it today by the Big Bang Theory, the, the TV show. But I want to share with you what Stephen Hawking's idea is, and it's, it is grafted in this, in this picture that I got from NASA's website. It, um, it looks like this. This is um, Hawking's theory, is that um, it, it all happened like this. Now, the bottom axis is, horizontal axis is, the, um, is time, is time. They believe that th- it's 13.77 billion years, and then upward, the upward vertical axis is um, the expansion of the universe. And you can see right now uh, that flashy part. It was like a firecracker. It just happened so quickly. It almost is vertical. And then now it's just kind of going out in a gradual motion and, and it's accelerating like a cone shape. And in there we see there's like nebulas and universes or whatever just forming. And we know this by this W map who's looking back at the origins of our universe here. That little satellite there. Now outside of this cone where the words are, Outside of that is all black. People believe that, the scientists believe that there's nothing out there. There's nothing, nothing out there. There's no matter, time, space, nothing's out there. Just this cone, which is our known universe. And, and what Hawking claims is that there's this thing that started it all. It's called quantum fluctuations. That's like a $50 word, right? Quantum fluctuations. And um, here's some of the attributes of the, uh, that scientists say are the attributes of quantum fluctuations. It's a set of fluctuations that's not physical, okay? So it's not physical, but it acts, um, it's, and so it's, it doesn't hold to natural law, so they call it supernatural. It's kind of supernatural. And the second thing is it acts on the physical. It's not physical, but it acts on the physical, and it creates the physical from nothing. It creates the physical from absolutely nothing, and the last thing is it predates the existence of our universe. Now I look at that and I think to myself, Hawking, like aren't you borrowing from something here? I see a bit of copyright infringement going on. Because I look at that, I have to chuckle a little bit because as I read Genesis 1.1, it says this, that in the beginning predates the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when I... Look at the set of fluctuations. When I look at the, 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 
the things that are up there on, on how it was made and how Hawking said it, when I see that set of fluctuations, I say, man, this isn't a set of fluctuations here. This is the biblical God. Because can we put this up? It's a biblical God because our God, he's not physical. He's supernatural. He acts on the physical. He created the physical from nothing and he predates the universe. And so when I, when I look at this, I think to myself, man, science is screaming, you guys, screaming that this is true. They call it the Big Bang. I say God created the universe. And, and he stands outside of time, matter, and space to do that because he is large and in charge. In fact, I love how this, um, this scientist, a Nobel Prize winning physicist, said it in one of his books, Atheist. He, he writes his book on God and, and, and astronomy. He said this, For the scientist who lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance and he is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who's been sitting there for centuries. Isn't that crazy? I love that. And it just screams to me that, man, our God is large and in charge. The scientific community is looking at this and saying, what? How is this possible? And so science shows us that God is large and in charge. Another way it tells us, science tells us about God is that, if you jot this down, if you're taking notes, that he's intentional. That he's intentional. That our God is a God of order. And we don't just read that in God's word. We don't just know that to be true and from God's word that God is an intentional God, that he's an orderly God. But we see that through the works of God. Not just the word of God, but God's works through creation. There's this thing called the anthropic principle. Someone say anthropic principle. That's, a, again, another $50 word. But um, I want to, I, I, I came across this word from a, a, a really historical um, video that I came across. I want to share with you that video in just a moment. Let's take a look at that. that. <laughs> Big Bang Theory, so good. Anthropic principle, it, it's a scientific idea that describes our universe and our planet as being so finely tuned for life to exist here. Meaning that, that scientists look at all the data and they found that, that it's so perfectly set up, it's so perfectly in order for life to exist here on this planet. And when I, mean per- when I say perfect, it's perfect. For example, let me just give you an example of um, the many anthropic principles that are out there. There are a few. These are just a few. That if one of these were slightly off, then, it, then we wouldn't have life here. One of them is the sun. If it was a bit larger in mass, then we'd be all burned up. It, would have, it wouldn't be possible to have life. If the moon was a bit closer, then there, wouldn't be, uh, there would be tidal waves every second of the day. Or if the oxygen level was a little smaller percentage, more or less, or if the atmospheric transparency was a little more or less, or if the orbiting planets in our solar system weren't there, or if the solar system was not in the exact place it is in the Milky Way galaxy, then we would not exist here on this planet. And these are just a fraction of the over a hundred of anthropic principles or anthropic constants, they say, for life to be existing on this planet, planet Earth that we know of here. And, and I, I see all of this, and it blows my mind because I look at the odds of all of this happening, all by luck, chance, or coincidence, and the, the odds of that is very, 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 very unlikely. And so um, I want to share with you just a little example of what I mean by that. And so I need somebody's help. If I could ask somebody to come up here in just a moment. Can I ask Robson? Man, you, you look good. Come on up here. Ro- give it up for Robson right now. He's going to not plan, but yeah. 
Ross, I want to show you something. Um, what do you think? What is this? And I know people can't see it in the back, but what is that? It's a dice or a die. Yeah. And so, um, Robson, have you ever seen one of these before? Like Vegas or like bathroom or like, in the, no, just have, <laughs> not, not confession time. Okay, sorry. Uh, but, okay, so, so um, Robson, what if I were to say to you, I want you to roll a six first try. What are the odds of you rolling a six first try? What do you think? One out of six. Yeah, you just said it. One out of six. The odds are one out of six. And so if you were to throw it, it would land on six. That would be the odds. And no, that's not impossible. So let's try to see you do it. Okay, so just try to roll a six. Let's see it. Yep, just right on the ground here. Oh, you have the motion, man. You have the motion there. I like that. What did it land on? Five. Okay, five. Pretty good. So if, let's just say it landed on six, okay? So let's just pretend that somehow you rolled it one out of six, you landed on six. I want to ask you if you could, because you just pretend that we just rolled a six, would you um, throw another six? Um, I want to ask you, what are the odds of you throwing another six? If you just rolled a six, what are the odds of you throwing another six? Can you somebody help them out? Let's help them out here. It would be one out of what? It would be one out of 36. I heard somebody say that. One out of 36. The odds are one out of 36. And so um, I want you to roll another six, okay? <laughs> just t- twice in a row. First try. Let's see it. What is the number you got? Five, okay. <laughs> wow, you can throw fives. That's awesome. <laughs> Don't take you to Vegas. Okay. That's awesome. Okay, so... Um, Robson, you just rolled a five, but let's just say, okay, you rolled two sixes, because it's not that impossible, right? It's like one out of 36. The odds aren't great, but it's possible. Now, I want to ask you if, if you could roll 70 sixes in a row, like just se- 70 times. First try, it lands on six. Um, I want you to write, roll that right now. Is that, how, what do you think the odds would be of that happening? It, 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 it'd, be, it'd be really difficult. I'll show you the odds. Come check this out. Here are the odds of you rolling it 70 times, okay? Um, and it all landed on six first try. The odds are one in 10 to the 55th power. And so that's one with five, 55 zeros all the way back in that. And so that's the odds of him rolling this. But let's just say, because that's not completely impossible, let's just say that that happened. Now, if I were to tell you that he did this just now, like he just rolled 70 times the number six, Every single time for the first try, it happened. What would you say about this dice? What would you say? That it's loaded. That the dice is loaded. Would you thank um, my friend Robson for sh- coming up here? That the dice is light loaded. And that's exactly the point. That the probability of us being here and the universe existing by luck, chance, or coincidence makes no sense at all. Unless, unless the dice was loaded. Unless there is an intelligent designer who is a God of order who made everything intentionally and with purpose. And, and as we look at that, I mean, it just blows my mind to think that, that God would have the ability to do that, to, to, to first try during the expansion rate of the universe, make this to be, and everything was perfectly set in the way that it should be and that you know what that tells me is that when we seek god in this what god is saying and i as i look at science is that if you seek me in this then you'll find me at the center of it all if you seek me in biology or you seek me in chemistry or you seek me in nature or physics you'll find me not just in god's word but in god's work in it all i love how the apostle paul says it in romans 1:20. he says it like this He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. 
through everything God made, they can clearly see the invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing. And so listen, as, I, as we kind of look at science, as we look at some of the things that we found through the anthropic principle, through the origins of the universe, we, we see how it was all kind of put together and how it was made. And so it leads me, as we look at science revealing all these things about the grandness of God, it leads me to the question that science isn't asking. And that question is why? Why? Why would an all-powerful God who has the ability to create everything from nothing and hold it perfectly in its place for you and I to live on this planet why would he do that? Why would he care about us so much that he would do that for us? And so here's your last point if you're filling in blanks here is that you were made on purpose for a purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. I want you to affirm someone next to you by sharing those words. In fact, read af- repeat after me these words to the person next to you. Would you say, you were made on purpose for a purpose? And I believe that, that we are made on purpose for a purpose. And what I mean by that is that God doesn't make mistakes. That God didn't, act, you, you weren't an accident, that he didn't randomly make you. That just as he made the cosmos, and for those of you that are maybe you're here and you're like, ah, oh, this scientific stuff, I want to pull you back in to the rest of this message. That just as he made the cosmos and the co'olaus, he also made the cells in your body that, that form who you are. It says in the Bible, and, and that, that you were formed in your mother's womb. And so, like all created things, it has a purpose. It was made on purpose, but it has a purpose. Like the solar system that orbits, that's the, that's the purpose of our solar system, the orbit. And, and that's the way it worships God. It's a created thing. It worships God in that way. Waves crashing, that's how it worships God. That's its purpose. Flowers blooming. As you look at a flower here in Hawaii, that's just, as you see it bloom, this is the way it worships God. Birds singing and flying, this is the way it worships God. You and I, we have a purpose too. And that's to worship God alongside all of creation. I love how the psalmist says it in Psalms 111 verse 2. It says it this way, he says it this, this way. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Great are the works, just his creation, the works that he's made, the, the things that he shows us through creation, through nature, through biology. and Great are his works, studied by all who delight in them. And so as we come to a close today, as we look at the, the works of God through the lens of science, and as we look at the, the, the heart of God through his word in the way of faith, I want us to imagine with me what it would look like if you if you and I just lived out of this idea that our God is a, both an, an infinite God, amazingly infinite, that he can do all of these things, but yet he's intimate, that he wants a relationship with us. What would that do in your life when you can conceptualize that, man, God is so big, but yet he wants to be with us and doing things for us? I want to encourage you to just kind of hold that, because if, if I were to, to be honest with myself, I would think of that, and I would think to myself, man, what would people say if, if I lived out of that? And I believe that this is what people would say, that, if, that as you're going through things, they're going to come up to you and they're going to say, wait, huh, how are you so calm in this moment where people are just, there's all these things happening, there's this big thing happening in your life, this situation is happening in your life, how are you staying in this place of peace? Or, or how come you know, you're not snapping back when somebody's yelling at you and saying all these things to you? And you know what you're going to say to them? You're going to say to them, 
You don't understand. I have a God who is large and in charge. I have a God who holds all things together in the palm of his hand perfectly and fine-tunedly. And because I have a God that can do all of that in the universe and around our world, then I have a God that can do that in my life as well. That nothing is too big or too small for this God who is intentional in my life. And I want to encourage us to live out of this, this space today.